Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time talking for about. Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'd uh, like to be the first to wish you a, a happy November. Happy soggy November 1st. It sure is nice to have a little bit of weather now, isn't it? So we uh, gave Dan a well-deserved day off today and brought in uh, one of our favorite loan officers from Central Coast Lending, Jason Van Dyke. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. It feels like you're bringing the energy. Yeah? Yeah? Good. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> a little bit of a Halloween hangover, but that's okay. Too much sugar? Yeah. I, You know, I went really light on the sugar this year. Did you? Yeah. I think I had like two or three pieces of candy. That was it. Oh, good. I drew did, the line. Did you guys go trick-or-treating? We did. We ventured out. It was a short trip. It was a little wet. A lot wet, I should say. But the kids really seemed to enjoy it. I think it's going to be one that they remember. I never left the house. Really? Never left the house. You had a little get together, didn't you? We had a we had like few work friends over, pretty mellow. Right. The kids trick or treated around the neighborhood. We set up a you know, some Halloween decorations, including a fogging machine and a little laser light thing. And wow. Spider webs with spiders. <laughs> fake spiders. So the kids did go out though in the rain. They yeah? did. They, they came back out? soggy two times. <laughs> <laughs> I they I I think that uh, it just added to the excitement for them. Yeah, I remember a, um, a Halloween when I was a kid where it rained like that and trick or treating um, out of the the back of my dad's Impala. <laughs> <laughs> he would like we would hop in the back seat and like shut the door and he would like creep to the next house and we'd like kick the door open and you know run up to the house and come back. That was exciting. I remember that. I remember those days trying to get as much candy as you possibly could. Now it's. I don't know. I don't let my kid eat all the candy anyway, so what's the point? Really? I took my kid's candy away pretty quick last night. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll sit there and eat it until they get a stomachache. Uh, we went to a party where there was a bunch of kids, and you definitely saw the uh, the sugar highs flying all over the house at like 11 p.m. It was it was a little insane, but that's what it's all about that time of uh, year, I guess, right? That's what, sure. that's what you're supposed to do? Sure, yeah. I'm glad it's over. But we had a good time for sure. It was fun. I have another Halloween party to go to tonight. Do you? So it's I, not over. Quite the problem yet. is I have way more candy than I need at my house because there weren't a lot of trick or treaters. A lot of people did not get out there and do it. You should have brought it. Jim will take the. Uh, hey, I'll take the candy. The Halloween candy. Yeah, you look like is. a candy kind of dude. You're a candy guy, aren't you? Oh, I love candy. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> yep. Cool. Hey, yeah, so uh, Dan's getting a day off today. He doesn't even have any plans at all. He's just going to spend a Saturday at home. That sounds pretty fancy to me. That's good stuff right there. Well, he still has the new baby, so all well, that's still yeah, pretty oh, fresh. Yeah. I uh, The only time I ever get to miss the radio show is when I'm like, for some bona fide reason, I'm not in town. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't know what that's like to just have a Saturday at my house the whole day. That'd be That sounds wild. I think it's coming up. I see it in your future. Yeah, perhaps. We'll see. 
Um, well, heck, we do have a guest, right? Our, and, uh, and you met with our guest this week, so you've, you've got a little more prep time in this. Who's the guest? Uh, it's Lenny Jones with Jones Goodell and Associates. Uh, have an office down in uh, Arroyo Grande, longtime realtor in our area. Uh, actually went to elementary school in this area. No way. High school. Um, and has been here a long time. So it's always it's always fun to get the perspective of someone who's really been in the business and from this area for a really extended period of time. So excited to have him on the show today. That's like a true slow native. It, it, yeah, exactly. Right. I think after you've been somewhere about 10 years, they say you're a local. But he, yeah, legitimately <laughs> has been here. Yeah through it all. So it'll be it'll be fun to see his perspective on things um, and get a chance to talk to him. He's going to be coming on in about an hour, about 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock hour. Okay, good. All right. Well, that'll be good for that middle hour. Uh, what are we going to do for this first hour, Jay? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? We can talk about what happened this week. I brought a bunch of notes, man, as as always. Right. Um, yeah. I. It'll be interesting here to get your take. Um, so... You pay some attention to the markets, I know, um, probably more than most loan officers. And um, this month, this is the big month. This is the real big month. Um, this last week here, we had um, our good friend Janet Yellen was in the news again. Of course, she's the new Fed chair, replaced mm -hmm. uh, Ben Bernanke. And um, Janet Yellen was... Made it in the news, talking a little bit about what's going on, uh, monetary policy, and uh, wrapping up this QE3. You know, they they had um, we've had good low interest rates for quite a while, mm -hmm. and um, fascinatingly enough, a lot of people actually do believe that the government sets the mortgage interest rate. Mm -hmm. That it's something that they can just say, we need it to be. Uh, 4% right now, right. Get, get some people buy in and refinance in and uh, move things around. Um, but that's not the way it works, is it? No, it's not. I mean, there's definitely some investing going on. There's supply and demand that you always have to look at. Um, but mortgage-backed securities and treasuries is something that the government has been able to support and manipulate with quantitative easing. And so I think that that manipulation gives the, uh, gives the perception that they just have direct... Um, ability to just set those rates yeah so they do they do they can influence those rates for sure can definitely influence what goes on within a mortgage rate and you know one of the reasons we talk so much about the 10-year treasury bond here on the show is that that's really called the benchmark yield and the benchmark yield the reason we compare mortgage rates to the 10-year treasury bond is that they they share a really a similar relationship in terms of investment securities, okay? If you were somebody that was investing or buying a 30-year fixed mortgage-backed security, the idea is that that's a has a pretty predictable performance. It's a fixed rate of return. Mm -hmm. um, there's usually a price to buy it, and then over time, you're gonna um, that asset's gonna give you a, a predictable yield. And most of the time in our country, those things average about ten years. Reason being, people sell their house, people refinance their house. Um, the combination of that makes the 30 year loan has a, a life expectancy of about 10 years. Mm -hmm. How long have you been doing loans, Jason? About a little longer than that, about 12 years or so. Yeah. How many, t uh, what's the oldest loan you've ever seen? 
on somebody's credit report, like where it, it, it's clearly a 360 month loan right. and how many payments remain on that loan? Maybe seven or eight years, maybe, but that's, that's few. pretty that's, rare. Yeah, that's few and far between. That's pretty rare. Usually um, 10 years is about the oldest we'll see. Like right now, you might have some people that walk in with a loan from 2003 or 2004. Sure. That's pretty wild. Yes. Um, and if anything, there aren't really a lot of those old loans now because two years ago we had such low interest rates. Exactly. Um, so point being, usually you don't have a loan that long. So you look at the 10-year treasury to sort of get an idea of, of you know, because that's a similar performing instrument, then mm -hmm. the yields should be somewhat um, similar. They're not equal. They share a relationship. And generally, uh, throughout the years, it's been described as a percent and a half difference, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever the 10-year yield is, you could take and add one and a half percent to it. That's going to give you um, sort of an approximate as far as what your... Uh, what you would expect at the the mortgage rate at the time. There's some other things that are at play here, though. Okay, and this is this is the part where um, it gets kind of fun. That little percent and a half will vary from down to a percent to as much as two or three percent. We've seen in recent years um, when there are other forces at play. For example, the Fed's buying mortgage-backed securities or there just not being a lot of other options around to make a, a long-term investment like that that's perceived as safe and stable. So we see it fluctuate a little bit in that regard. But um, his, lately, I, I'm going to suggest that it's probably um, a little bit somewhere in the ballpark of been about 2% for the last year or two. It's about 2% more. Uh, right now, and just kind of give you guys an idea, I'd say that a 30-year fixed on Friday, if you really, if you weren't paying any points, depending on your credit score and how much equity and stuff you have, what, what would you say? 4% maybe? Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, exactly. 4%-ish. Mm -hmm. If you had a really great credit score and a really low loan to value, a lot of equity in your house, maybe 3875 If you had a moderate credit score and... You know, twenty percent equity, maybe four point one two five. So mm -hmm. it's a little range there. Let's call it four. The ten years at two point three four. So the difference right now is is really like one point six six. Basically, the range that you just mentioned. Yeah, it's so it's kind of in that predictable range. When the Feds go on to cut interest rates down to zero, um, that doesn't mean that the mortgage interest rate goes down, but relatively everything sort of their yields all get cut, mm -hmm. that influences interest rates. So there's a little bit of background for you there on, on what works on the mortgage rate. Um, the feds, this is the month where we're done buying mortgage-backed securities. Yeah, we've had uh, quite a bit of tailwind with the support from them recently. So that, yeah. that is ending. It's uh, what about a six-year period? where we've added, a, we went from about $1 trillion to about $4.5 trillion um, in securities that the, the Fed owns now. So it's a, a pretty big jump. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of money. And, um, you know, in, in terms of like, you know, people got all fired up about TARP, right? Don't bail out these corporations. These mm -hmm. scumbags made poor decisions to begin with, and now we're giving them a bunch of money. Um, 
One could argue here that the Fed's buying mortgage-backed securities has been the bigger shot in the arm for most of the mortgage banks in the country than any of the actual TARP money that came into their bank. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I mean by that really is that it's kind of like – um, it's almost like nepotistic where, is that a word? I don't know. I like it though. I just, I'm going to use it. Go with it. Felt Bush-esque for a minute. <laughs> I felt like I was really living on the edge. Nepotism is a word. Right. But I'm going to call it nepotistic. I don't know. I'll have to check. I'll have to I'm going Google for that. it. If not, just, you know, credit me with it. Put it in the, in old Webster's. <laughs> the but it's sort of, what I mean is it's sort of one of these things where, um, just do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, have your business originate your product, make your product, whatever your widgets, whatever, and don't even worry about um, who the end buyer is. You don't need to sweat the investor. Mom and dad are going to buy it. Right. It's already built. And the way that um, that that's been really, and and you, I mean, you got some good notes over there, Jason. Uh, I'm taking notes on years? what you're saying. It's good. Six years. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, about six year period. Six years the Fed's been in there buying uh, mortgage backed securities, which means a few different things. Number one, guaranteed buyer. Hey, uh, nepotistic is a word. Check me out. We knew this. We knew that. Man, now I got to make up a new word to get in the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the. Uh, the Fed just buying your product like that, that's kind of a nice thing, right? Mm-hmm. means that there's sort of a, a guaranteed buyer for you, so just you're free to engage. Yep. And then at the same time, the overnight rate's been around zero to a quarter percent, so you can get your hands on the capital it takes to keep the lights on while you originate this product with the guaranteed buyer. And, it, and in, in the idea here, the whole purpose behind this was to keep things freed up enough so that um, all of the hardworking Americans that needed or wanted or desired um, a, a more affordable um, ability to borrow against their house. I don't want to say a more affordable home because, yes, it translates into affordability, but um, the the goal here is if you were stuck in a loan where you couldn't really make anything happen, that it would kind of thaw the credit markets, right? Remember all that? Remember the credit mm-hmm. uh, the credit markets were all frozen and stuff. Um, anyway, this is the month where it's over. They're stopping, and it's not new news. They they began the pullout of this ten months ago in December. And um, they've it, outlined the withdrawal pretty clearly as and well. And they followed so. it very yes. in a very regimented and predictable way. Yes. Um, last December, when we had a we had just a terrible jobs report, um, we were talking about changing out the Fed chair. Um, we were as an economy, the housing market was slowing down after some pretty robust growth, and I remember thinking. What are these knuckleheads doing? This is not the time to pull out of buying mortgage-backed securities. Uh, just wondered what they were doing. And, and I remember sometime in February, um, do you just take a pause from that. Do you ever feel like you know what um, better about the mortgage market than like the people that are writing the laws and making the policy for our country? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you feel like you you can sort of see what they're trying to do and what they're trying to manipulate. 
And I, yeah, I wonder oftentimes, I wonder if they even know what in the heck is happening in the real world. Mm -hmm. And that was how I felt. I remember sitting there just going, what are these morons even thinking? The programs and the weird, like TARP and um, TARP, what I thought was like, uh, yeah, give the banks a whole bunch of money and see what they do with it. Whatever. Well, that was the big question with that, right? Is that the banks ended up getting the money, but there was no requirement for them to basically put that money into circulation. There's right. no requirement for new loans. There was no requirement. So so we didn't quite see the dramatic swing that maybe we thought we were going to see with that with that nah. program. And then this yeah, they're they're encouraged to lend out all this money, right? And they weren't. Right. Why weren't they? Well, Americans didn't have enough they didn't have enough equity. Mm-hmm. Their credit wasn't good enough to qualify. Their debt to income ratios were too high. As everybody was going through this Whoa, you have to like actually be able to make your debt payments at their actual interest cost and you have to actually take care of your household finances in a way where like, you know, hang on, we got to let half of America hit the reset button and figure out what to do. So they create this HARP loan program, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you can have no equity. Um, you can ha- you can have a pretty bad credit score. You can have a high debt to income ratio. You can have no reserves. They basically lower the bar across the board on this program, suggesting that um, so many people would qualify that this would have been the thing. I remember hearing that it was going to make. I mean, there was literally there was going to be like tens of millions of harp loans done mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that there wasn't. There's like a million or something. It's actually failed miserably. The program was not a good program. Um, the people that wrote the program wrote a few simple little details in there that they shouldn't have. The main one, the date cutoff was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a date cut off in 2009, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people were still losing equity and losing jobs through 2011. Yes. Uh, so that was kind of wild. And then the other big one was, um, hey, you could only ever do this one time. Right. So a lot of people came forward and did it. The only banks around that could do it outsmarted everyone, and they gave everybody like a 5% HARP loan in 2010 mm-hmm. and then rates fall to like 3% and right. all those people come back forward and like, ah, you went to bank of America, you got yourself a 5% harp. Um, wear that for a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's a lot of people that still have that well, it was kind of crazy or whatever, but anyway, they're not any good at writing the programs and knowing how it actually happens. That's how I felt when they were talking about the bailout. I remember sitting there going, um, so you're doing this bailout, you're going to give all these people this money, and now we created this new weird loan program that nobody really seems interested in, or if they are, they there's some gotcha where they can't get it. Mm-hmm. And then they start buying the mortgage-backed securities. That I actually thought was reasonably smart. Mm-hmm. Um, when they decide to stop buying the mortgage-backed securities, I'm like, you guys finally did something right in this, and now you're just going to quit. All the while, we, the taxpayers, still own Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, so... Why not stop buying those loans and let private enterprise begin to get their hand in that pot? Um, now, the Fed is still going to be continuing to purchase and have some type of purchasing program, correct? I mean, I, I recognize yeah, they are. that quantitative easing is a They are. Ended, They're but... going to reinvest principal um, 
payment and um, payoffs. Right. Okay. So there's still some. But you got to imagine. There. You got to imagine that out of a what's gonna in the end is gonna be a four and a half trillion dollar portfolio. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yeah. Exactly. Every time one of those loans pays off, mm-hmm. and they really, I mean, it comes down to individual loans secured by individual houses. Yep. The Fed may actually own your collateral, mm-hmm. and so you would pay your house off by way of refinance or purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, refinance or selling, I should say. And the Fed gets this on the balance sheet. They just get it's a little cash injection. You know, two, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars here and there. Um, they might be getting. I'd venture to say it probably proves to be about a million dollars a month, mm-hmm. a couple million bucks a month, maybe at least. Yeah, they they're gonna get that money, and 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 that was always been one of the things is like, well, what are they gonna do with it? Did they gonna sell that, and then I gotta feel like I just funded another senator's vacation or something? <laughs> but no, what they're actually going to do with it is it's gonna stay on its own dedicated balance sheet Mm -hmm. for mortgage-backed securities and the principal they receive in will be reinvested back into the same investment again. So actually still be able to compile assets by way of loans selling and refinancing and they'll be able to take and reinvest that money back into mortgage-backed securities. I like that. It kind of keeps it from freezing up again if that's possible. At the same time, these are fantastic investments. Mm-hmm. They're making tons of money. Yeah, they are. And all of the interest that they're making will actually be kicked back over into the treasury, right? So we'll end up with kind of flush with cash in a way that the American government's got an investment vehicle that mm-hmm. might actually be profit generating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's, the, that's one of the things that they're, they're stating or, or citing for why we're not going to see a huge dramatic increase in rates right now. Um, really because of that, the, the reinvestment of those funds. And then also, I think they're, they're expecting that a lot of this has already been priced into the markets um, because they've, they've outlined their intentions and, as you said, has sort of followed that to the T. Um, they're hoping that a lot of this has already been priced in and we won't see that, uh, that big interest rate jump. I like pointing this out, but back in December when this stuff was like, the, we saw the first... Um, cutting of uh, some of the monthly buying um, interest rates interest rates started going up then mm-hmm. and in fact if you really want to track when interest rates for mortgages started going up it was when back in that previous May uh, like a year and a half ago when the Fed said um, hey we're gonna we're going to do this. It's on the horizon. Right. Here's a few things to look for because we know the, that our market doesn't like surprises. So mm-hmm. pay attention to unemployment. Pay attention to um, inflation. Pay attention to job growth. When we see these things heading in the right direction, we're likely to come up and introduce some reduction. And then um, as soon as they said that, and it, w- it was like we, we were already seeing some signs of positive um, positive direction in, especially in terms of real estate values, mm-hmm. uh, total feeding frenzy over buying and selling real estate. Things were going gangbusters. It's a wonder what happens in the real estate market when people can get a 3% 30 year fixed. Uh, but anyway, we said that that's what the feds were, were up to. And as soon as they said that man, interest rates shot up mm-hmm. and everybody began predicting 
I remember one of the things I said is there's no way they're going to start cutting this in December. It's the year in. It's the fourth quarter. Bernanke's leaving. Nobody wants to see big changes right as Yellen's coming into mm-hmm. the new position. It just wouldn't make sense. Plus, they didn't have the press conference scheduled for um, that month and all these weird things, right? Um not the case at all. I did it. In December, they did it. And yep. I remember just thinking, you guys are nuts. What mm-hmm. are you thinking? This is outrageous. Um, and at the time, um, the 10-year yield, kind of tying this stuff all together, mm-hmm. back in May, that 10-year yield was right around two. It was good and low. Mm-hmm. Rates were good and low. Yeah. Um, that one and a half spread had interest rates at about three and a half percent. That was good for business. I, um, I was making some progress on getting my kids a college fund together. Right. Um, January, so they start, they announce they're making their first cut in December, January, the, uh, yield goes on the 10 year bond. The yield is 3.05. Hello. Woo. Yeah. Add your one and a half percent, right. To mm-hmm. compare to that mortgage rate, four and a half percent. Yeah. We saw like a whole percent jump in the mortgage interest rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody threw the switch. Buying and selling houses was no longer um, the chic thing to do. Mm-hmm. It was over. Re- refinance fever stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a lot of the investor purchases slowed yeah, down at that point. Lights out in We're, January. It just know. was in, and that was about the time when I'm thinking these kooks have really done it. Like, do they know how hard it was to get this housing market moving, and now they just stopped it? Um. But today I stand here and say they did a good job, man. The feds did a good job. This is the last month that they're buying those mortgage-backed securities. Um, Granted, they'll still be reinvesting, but that's not going to be nearly the same rate. Um, The 10-year yield has been in a pretty good little range, around Mm 2.3. So it's a lot less than when they first... um, stopped you know or started the um the tapering and that seeing the market return to normal a little bit seeing interest rates fall in the face of that seeing Mm -hmm. the private investors come back to market seeing capitalism kind of thaw out and work itself a little bit without this um a government intervention and stimulus has been has been cool so what do you what do you see in the the I guess the immediate future. I know long term, it's always hard. Jason, in the immediate future, I see our first commercial break. Oh, you are good. You are so good. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and take that break, um, run the commercials here, take some time to thank the sponsors. And when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But then we're going to move on. Not everybody cares about this interest rate stuff. I think it's fascinating. Um, But hey. Comes at an interesting time. I'm a nerd. There's some developments happening. So I'm, I'm a nerd. You just can't tell because I have good hair. <laughs> you know? All right. We're going to do a commercial break. We'll be back in just a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the 
Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Welcome back. I think you just made a confession over the air, Jason. Books on tape. Books on tape. tape. (laughs) I go over here into the room uh, where, you know, just stretching the old legs, getting a little fresh air. It starts to smell a little musty in here, by the way, with you guys. Well, thanks, Jason. Maybe it's you. It's just, (laughs) this is not a big room. How big is this room? It's Uh, like 12 by 10. Yeah, it's tiny. It's 12 by 10. And it's full of equipment. So It's full of three guys. There's yeah. fans and uh, like little electronic devices making heat all around us, and then there's three dudes in here. Yeah, um, I mean, I brushed my teeth this morning. Makes for an attractive Saturday morning. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> it, you know, so I'm stretching my legs, and what do I find? A big box of microwave popcorn. And uh, Jim said he's not a big fan, but that this place eats a lot of microwave popcorn mm. as a, the radio station. But I did mention I like the smell. And you oh, said yeah. that there's a problem with that. You're getting popcorn lung. <laughs> the health and wellness right. portion of mortgage matters. Hey, uh, it, <laughs> the only reason this isn't on front page headlines is because these uh, the popcorn manufacturers have got to be buying their way out of it. Hmm. Our show um, isn't isn't influenced by any money from anyone. No, I'm, I'm open to it. If some. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> if uh, yeah. Kettle Pop wants to come and pay Mortgage Matters to shut our mouths about this. It's the best product in the face of the planet. I'll right? tell you what. <laughs> but they're not paying me, so I can do this with a clear conscience. I'm not going to lose anything. Uh, microwave popcorn causes lung cancer, man. Well, there was a... I did Google that. Popcorn <laughs> lung. Popcorn lung form of cancer. Hmm. Great. I watched... Uh, I walked into the, back to the break room, and I tell you, our, our office people love popcorn. I'm um, not a huge fan, like I said, because it gets stuck in my Send them a link to the yeah, email. But there's, a, there's a documentary I watched years ago. Um... <clears throat> about popcorn lung and what happened you don't want to know what happens honestly mm. uh the occurrence is highest in the people that sit nearest the break room in companies where because mm. popcorn uh like somebody pops a bag of popcorn mm -hmm. and then you start thinking about oh you know how the bag kind of steams mm. and it's like buttery mm. and it smells so good yeah. i i usually all indulge in the fantasy till about right there i i think popcorn and beef jerky would be unbelievably cool products if they yeah. just partner with glide and put a couple flossers on the dang bag man yeah, then when i go. get done with my beef jerky or get done with my popcorn i can get all the crap out of my teeth See? so i can go back to being normal silencio jason maybe you got an idea here no <laughs> i tried to call oberto and see if they could um <laughs> You know, have uh, you ever seen, you know, the dentist gives you that little one's like the size of a dime and mm -hmm. it's like a 10 footer piece of floss, yeah. uh, <clears throat> put an adhesive back on that and stick that to the beef jerky. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, more people would be buying that. And, and also, um, even the people that buy the beef jerky anyway, not knowing how much they love flossing, mm -hmm. it's like a little gum massage. It feels amazing. Maybe if we stick that on a bag of popcorn, now we're onto something. What right. You, so anyway, jerky that, popcorn and you get floss. the smell, right? Mm -hmm. The mind starts working, the steamy bag, you're tearing it open, the greasy fingers. Mm -hmm. Reminds you of like watching a movie with your whoever you like to watch movies with. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, like a zombie, you're heading for the kitchen to pop some popcorn because you mm -hmm. can't go stick your hand in somebody else's yeah. popcorn bag at work, Nasty. right? Yeah, no. So the per so the somebody pops a popcorn. And then everybody in the workplace starts popping popcorn, especially when there's like boxes on oh, yeah. it. Uh, the person that sits next to the microwave, I bet if you go check them tomorrow, they're probably over there like this. <laughs> so your sales, your sales guy, Michael, his office is right next to the popcorn machine. It's not good, man. Well, you, know, you better tell Michael about this next time he comes and talks to you. You guys ought to tell your workman's comp carrier <laughs> that you're popping that much popcorn. My studio's way outside the building, so I don't have to worry about it. My you may be safe. I might be safe. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> better research that. All right. On to mortgages. <laughs> I digress. Dan is sitting at home like, yeah, come on. Dan's going crazy right now. If he's got the show on right now, he's going crazy. He's like, all he's doing is rambling about popcorn. <laughs> I want to hear your segue from popcorn back into uh, getting on track here. I don't have one. That's it? Okay. I just did it for us. I'm not a radio dude, man. I do home loans. <laughs> That's what I do. Um... All right, we talked about interest rates for an awful long time. We're going to be following that for years to come here on the show on account of uh, it makes so much difference. 
I think the big takeaway here and what I've seen over the last couple of weeks is volatility in the market. Um, with all of these changes and a lot of uncertainty comes a lot of volatility. And so when we see that type of volatility, I mean, we see the Dow swinging, you know, two, 300 points in one day. Um, that has a, a pretty dramatic effect on interest rates e e just in the short term. So I think just being connected with that and understanding that, especially if you're looking at refinancing or if you're, e I think even more importantly right now, pre-qualified for a home loan, um, I think it's important to continue to touch base on these types of items just to make sure that that pre-qualification is still good, to make sure that any adjustments that we've seen because of the volatility still leaves you in the same financial position that you were in, you know, six weeks ago when you sat down and talked to somebody. So I think that that's, that's key and important to, uh, to keep, in uh, keep, keep in mind and stay on track with for sure. Right. Uh yeah, and interest rates, by the way, um, there was a potential refi boom a couple weeks ago that got snuffed out pretty quick. Yeah, it was like a two- or three-day window there. For, if that. You know. I mean, it was really good on that Wednesday. Thursday gave a little back. Friday gave a little bit more back. Monday gave the rest of it back. Yeah, it so, turned pretty quickly. Yeah, it did. Um, but, hey, you know, if you were in there, if basically people that were – in process anyway mm -hmm. um that had a loan just starting or a loan not yet locked there are some of those people got some pretty good deals that day yeah uh, but otherwise you know back to business as usual interest rates somewhere around four percent um which by the way is still it's phenomenal mm -hmm. um i wanted to tell you a little bit um about an experience that I had this week uh, looking at a client's paperwork um, where I actually found mathematically um, two different loan transactions this week where it made sense for someone to refinance out of uh, interest rate from the low threes into a 4% interest rate mm -hmm. um, in, in getting rid of mortgage insurance. For sure. Um, really kind of an interesting one. I don't want to talk a lot about this today because I feel like I did that a week or two ago. But um, folks, if you have mortgage insurance, it doesn't really matter what your interest rate is. Um, if you have mortgage insurance, let's talk about it. We've got some analysis to do and figure out uh, if getting rid of your mortgage insurance is something that is uh, feasible, possible, but also just going to prove to be mathematically the best thing that you can do. Um, so I think another point to that, uh, speaking to that is not all mortgage insurance is created equal. And so some mortgage insurance like FHA lasts for the life of the loan. So if you're, uh, if you love your three and a half percent interest rate on your FHA loan, you're going to be stuck with that mortgage insurance for the life of the loan. And yeah, and, you know, it's good that you bring that up. And, you know, the mortgage insurance on that FHA loan that lasts for the life of the loan mm -hmm. is typically going to be 1.3%. Mm -hmm. And it is. It's 1.3% of the outstanding loan amount. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a 3.5% interest rate, which most of those people are going to have that 3.5, that's about the era that that was happening, your interest rate is actually 4.8. Exactly. Right. And, and I'm saying actually. I'm not saying feels like, and I'm not saying is kind of equal to. It really is. It actually is. Mm -hmm. It's 
it's funny that what FHA did was sort of break the two apart so that you got an interest cost and then you have a mortgage insurance cost expressed as percentage rate. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter that the two share um, or have a different name or whatever. They're, they're the same in math. You add They're them percentages up. of the outstanding balance right. at a rate, and that's your cost. Right. So it is really important to not – you can't get duped into the marketing of believing that a 3.5% rate is way better than a 4% rate when you have a 1.3% mortgage insurance cost mm-hmm. that's going to last for the life of the loan. Right. Um, FHA loans from a few years before that have like um, a five-year minimum but go away usually after the 11th year. Mm-hmm. So those ones, yeah, we can do some math on those ones. Mm-hmm. That one you can crunch down and say maybe you should keep it. Uh, you just stay with what you got because you only got – you know, a year or two left before you're at the five-year minimum and then some new options present themselves. But the point there is that if, if you're in that boat, it'd be, it'd be really swell to sit down with us and figure out exactly what's going to happen and when. Mm-hmm. I like it. it. For me, it's like the real-life application of those fun math problems from fifth grade. Right. Um, Jason has a mortgage. And his interest rate is 3.5. If Jason pays 1.3 for mortgage insurance that has a minimum term of five years but cancels at a 78% loan to value, should Jason refinance into a 4% 30-year fixed? Hey, that's fun. (laughs) I'm ready for that one. I always hated those kinds of questions in math class. I loved them. That's what we're here for. Loved them. That's so fun. Um that's the kind of thing, and we get to use a lot of different tools to get down to the answer to that question. Um, but that that sort of logic and arithmetic is is the the level of service that we are trying to bring to every transaction. And um, yeah, so if you have mortgage insurance, they're not all equal. You probably aren't sophisticated enough to know how to analyze it. Um, let's get together and and figure it out for you. Yeah. By the way. I get plenty of people that come in and say, I want to refinance because I got mortgage insurance. I say, sweet, what kind of loan do you have? Mm, you need to keep that three and a quarter, 30 year fix because you have a conventional loan and we can make that mortgage insurance stop without costing yourself your rate and or um, going through the uh, frustration and annoyance of getting a new loan. Um, those are really fun too. And I definitely don't mind telling somebody that the best thing you can do is leave here with the loan you have, um, which is funny because we're in the business of making loans, but keep what you got and go down this path to get rid of your mortgage insurance. A lot of people have mortgage insurance. Yeah. A lot of people do. Um, in fact, uh, one of the conversations that keeps coming up, and I think we'll talk about this with Lenny in a little bit here, is um, the number one hurdle to buying a home today is the down payment. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned a couple months ago that more than a quarter of all first-time home buyer purchases last year, um, the home buyers had gifts from family, mm-hmm. and um, so th- that 
if you don't have a family that can give you 20, 30, 50, 80,000 bucks, um, then you need to figure out how to do it another way. And usually what you're going to do is you're going to do it with mortgage insurance. Right. You're going to get what you can, an FHA loan with 3.5% down. You know, and 3.5% on your first house, your $300,000 house in this area, that's 11500 bucks. That's a lot of money too if you're, you know, scraping and saving to get there. But once you do it, you get your foot in the door. And then after a year or two, then you try to refinance yourself into a conventional loan. Um, and then hopefully at some point you can get your mortgage insurance to stop. And now all of a sudden you're like, you're gaining some momentum in acquiring wealth. That's something that we're helping people do all the time. Um, so if you can't get gifts, you're going to have to do mortgage insurance. And, um, you know, there's, there's a whole plan to, to sit down and walk out. Was, but I, what I wanted to say about those, the millennials now is what they're called. Um, and I guess we're not millennials. Sorry, man. Um, but I read just this week that the average age of the first time home buyer in the U.S. is now 31. Hmm. Think about that. How old were you when you bought your first house? Probably about that age. 31? Yeah. Well, you were off busy, like, gallivanting in the NFL and stuff. It was busy, yeah. It was a busy, busy time. Um, I was 28, I think. Not too far off from that number. 27. I was 27. But this trend of seeing it go further off into the future is not, um, that's not what uh, everybody in the industry wants to see trying to figure out how to get people excited about buying real estate today. Keep this things... number that you mentioned 31, what is state that fact for us one more time? The new, it's the average age of the first time home buyer now. Okay. And, um, and it was, it was like 28 a few years ago. Right. But those credit guidelines tightening up sort of has an effect on that for sure. I mean, the, Oh yeah. I mean, being forced to document things where previously we could have just said, Hey, well, yeah. not only that, but the 80, 20, I right. mean, most, most people know what we mean when we say 80, 20, but it was a, it was a, a great little package that lenders had to offer. Most every bank did it. Mm -hmm. Um, you got yourself an 80% first lien mm -hmm. usually, um, Usually a fixed rate loan. If not, there was like a five-year arm, make mm -hmm. it a little more affordable. And then your second would be a 20% second. Um, and those were either adjustable. If they're fixed, they're usually a balloon. But point being, um, as soon as you could afford the debt service on two loans like that, you're in, baby. Yeah. No down payment needed. No down payment, yeah. So... A lot of people bought homes that way, and that's what I think that principle in and of itself, forget about the exotic pieces like negative amortization and um, prepayment penalties and all that kind of stuff that helped people's affordability, but just the, just the presence of the 80-20 had people um, able to buy a home. Mm -hmm. You know, I was talking a minute ago about mortgage insurance. You... Scrape together your three and a half percent down if no one in your family will give it to you. 
then you have to buy a house with an FHA loan. You know, maybe you could do a USDA loan, but at some point you got to get like, you got to start making these transitions over into getting yourself into a conventional loan with no mortgage insurance. That's everyone's end goal, right? That's how you're going to pay your house off as rapidly as possible. Um, back then it was like, okay, come on in with your good credit score mm-hmm. and get yourself an 80-20. You don't even need a down payment. And then when the market picks up and appreciates a little bit, you come back and you refinance um, from your second down just to your first. Mm-hmm. Then you just have one loan. And the goal then would, be, again, at some point, you're going to want to get yourself into a conventional loan. Right. So you're going to start out with something a little wonky and weird because Fannie Mae never did the 80-20. So you got to use some other bank with their shady second Mm -hmm. to figure out how to get yourself to adjust an 80% first, at which time Fannie Mae would typically refinance you into their deal. And this is what makes all of this work and okay is the fact that homes are appreciating during this time. Sure. So as as your yeah. home appreciates, you've got more money in the wall. And then it became it musical chairs, more, right? It gives you more options, yeah. yeah. As everybody has a loan, a loan in flux, the music's playing. Do you have the musical chairs song? Isn't there like a normal song for that? I guess you could do it with any song. I think it's any music. Did you? But know be, I pictured in my head it's like a polka song, right? <laughs> and everybody's like dancing around all excited. I just bought a house, eighty twenty baby, no down payment, and yep. you know it's making forty percent a year, and right. they're so stoked. And then um, the equivalent of the music stopping is like, hey, uh, your house is actually going down in value right now. Um, sorry about that. And now you got caught with no chair. You're now you have this yep. second and this negatively amortizing own, loan and all this yep. weird stuff you don't know how to deal with. Pretty much, it's any music, whatever you want. Uh, yeah, just <laughs> then this is actually called popcorn, by the way, hot butter. It's a disco song, so it kind of fits what we'll be talking with. And then you just go like, oh, and then you better have. A chair. You better have a chair. And you don't. Do you have a conventional loan now when that You don't. Stops? You just no, died. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to your bankruptcy. Um, do a short sale or a foreclosure. The gig's up. A lot of people got caught like that. And that's really how it happened. I mean, they, Truly. the market one day said, you know what? We're not buying these loans anymore. And it's this over. Is not, yeah. So <laughs> banks got stuck with no chair to sit in. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I mean, obviously that we saw what happens when that happens is all the people that were buying loans or buying houses with stupid loans. Most of those people got their well, hands. The, the people that good. you're, you're speaking to about, you know, if you do have mortgage insurance are also sort of taking advantage of getting out of that mortgage insurance because of the appreciation we've seen over the last couple right. of years. Absolutely. And so you, you can still benefit from those swings in appreciation. Um, and but the big difference though, is if you buy a house, like let's say you buy a house today, mm-hmm. and then in three years they go and you know you buy this house for four hundred grand, okay, and in three years you go you call you know into the bank all it's been three years I've been paying two grand a month, right? I got to have me some equity. The place is no doubt it's worth more because real estate always appreciates, and the bank sits down and does the whole gig and goes. I'm sorry, Mr. Van Dyke. It just isn't. Your yeah. house is worth two ninety five. Right. Then what? Uh, then nothing. <laughs> you still have your thirty year fixed, and yeah, you're still gonna have your mortgage insurance, but 
you don't have the equity by way of uh, you know appreciation, so you're just going to have to take the stairs instead of the elevator and just keep on paying. And on those loans, it, the mortgage insurance does stop when your loan amortizes to a 78% loan to value based on what the purchase price was at the time, which mm -hmm. is generally about 11 years. So in that case, everybody's still going to be okay. You're mm -hmm. going to be making the same payment you were making when you qualified for that house. The, the other big difference about the time of the recession was the payment changed radically. Right. Hey, I need to refinance out of this first and second and get myself into something a bit more predictable. And they said, we're sorry, you just don't have the equity. What do you mean I don't have the equity? Well, everybody in the neighborhood is like, let their house go. And so you're, you're in a bad spot too. You know, you owe 400,000. We can't even sell your house for 300,000. You mm -hmm. just, we're real sorry about that, but good luck. And then at the same time, you're finding out that your your payment just went from eleven hundred bucks a month to twenty seven hundred bucks a month. Mm -hmm. And you're going, I barely afforded the eleven hundred. How could I afford twenty seven hundred? Um, and this thing's worth a hundred thousand dollars less than I paid for it. That's how the whole mess happens, right? Right. That's when people start walking. That's not going to happen today. Um, people are going to, you know, even if homes stay flat for a period of time, or maybe they even do, uh, go down in value some, a little bit or whatever, doesn't matter. You still have a 30 year fixed rate loan It's still the payment that you got when you qualified for your house. You know, it's all, it's, it's pretty predictable and, um, yeah. So. Point being, interest rates are still really low. The feds have, have uh, indicated that this month they wind up that tapering. That That's all sort of a, a concluded program. The housing market is still relatively stable mm -hmm. um, and increasing in a lot of ways. Uh, it's, a, it's still a pretty safe environment, um, but the home ownership rate is dropping. The age at which people are buying their first home is extending to later in life. Uh, it's a, it's one of these things where uh, the big focus right now in the industry is trying to figure out how do you attract those young people and how do you make it more affordable um, so that they can afford to buy. Knowing that down payment's one of the biggest hurdles. Um, interestingly enough, Fannie Mae is talking about uh, returning their 97%. Remember the Flex 97? Did mm -hmm. you ever do any of those? I did not. Um, it wasn't very well known yeah. by a lot of lenders, but um, the Flex 97 is a pretty cool program. And basically, they just the mortgage insurance companies uh, allowed mortgage insurance to be written on those. So you do a 3% down conventional loan. And um, Fanny's talking about bringing that back to market now. So that'd be a nice option. Um, yeah. Hey guys, it's just about the top of the hour. So we got to get out of here for a commercial break. When we get back, we're going to have Lenny Jones on. We got another hour of mortgage matters. We do hope that you'll stick around, maybe call in, ask your questions, share your comments, stick with us after this short break for more mortgage matters. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. 
That is a tune from the disco era. It reminds me maybe like a like a ringtone from one of those like Nokia phones. Yeah. Remember those? Yeah. Anyway. Guys, welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking around. I, I think the first hour is interesting to some people, but maybe not everyone. That stuff's kind of boring, isn't it? To a lot of people it is, yeah. Oh, you got to say what you said again. Your microphone was off. I don't remember what I said. I redesigned. <laughs> Thank mic. you. Hello, I'm back. Yeah, yeah I know it can be it can be a bit boring for some people. I listened to two minutes of it on the way up, and then I switched. Because you were about to fall asleep, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is outrageous. You don't, we don't want people crashing in the Lenny, car. we don't want you distracted while you're driving in. You better just change <laughs> oh, the channel. It was a downpour, too, on the way up. Yeah, speaking of that, you guys, if you're out driving around this morning, give yourself a little extra time, a little extra space from those cars around you. Um, I got passed by some knucklehead in a Jetta coming over the grade, and uh, there's a spot when you're coming south on 101, as you you know, before you crest the top of the grade, there's a spot where there's always this like this puddle in the fast lane where you can hydroplane, mm -hmm. and uh, watch that car get a little squirrely through there, and thought, man, and you know what? I I think I haven't seen the news, but I think there was a fatality on the grade last night. That's too bad. Yeah, and. and not to plug the motor mouse, but they, you know, they're on before us. They always talk about woho. Woho. Do you know what that means? Uh, maybe not in the context in which you're going to say it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wipers on, headlights on. Oh, okay, yeah. We're supposed to have those headlights on too. It's the law. There it is. Uh, I'm fancy, man. When there's like uh, the the sky is this dark, my car is turning them on for me. So, yeah. It's not like the old day where like your high beam switches on the floor over there on the left. <laughs> Remember that? You are dating yourself. Yeah. Uh, speaking of dating ourselves, so we've got Lenny Jones on the show. Lenny's a hey, very Lenny. recognizable face from around San Luis Obispo, and it's because you're like original slow native. I am not. My folks moved me here when I was six months old in diapers, so I'm not. A, so I'm not a native. That's native. <laughs> your very your first crawling occurred here on slow in, soil in Arroyo Grande. Excellent. So yeah, I'd I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Um, I we don't need all of the details about what it was like when they first introduced television and these kind of things, but. Um, Getting just growing up here and then um, the crazy path that led to you uh, getting into real estate. Well, speaking of televisions, I mean, that's why parents had kids because they had the kids flick the channels because you didn't have the remote controls. Oh, so. my name is remote. I changed it to Jason. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, I grew up in Arroyo Grande. I graduated from Oceano Elementary, Arroyo Grande High. And then I graduated from Cuesta College, which then took me up to San Jose State. Uh, I did graduate San Jose State with a BS in marine geology, which is offshore oil research. Wow. But the year I hired, the oil companies were not, I, I'm sorry, the year I graduated, there was actually an oil glut. So the oil companies were not hiring. So I couldn't get a job with Mobile, Exxon, whatever. So I said, okay, so I'll sell real estate for one or two years until I get a real job. So, And that was in Silicon Valley when I started real estate, just making tons of money in Silicon Valley. <laughs> 
But I also, since having come from Roy Grandy, I didn't. I saw the business. I was doing well. I loved it. But I didn't want to get stuck in San Jose because I knew that the more business I do, the more people are going to come back to me. And I didn't want to start that referral repeat business in San Jose. So after one year, uh, pack, packed up from San Jose, came home to Roy Grandy. And then reinvent yourself here. Reinvented myself, exactly. And uh, had tons of fun uh, doing it. And um, I still love it. 31 years, still love going to work every single day. Who did you know around here that made you think that was a an even an option was a, an attractive lifestyle? It, it's not that I knew it knew anyone. It's um, I knew if I when I left San Jose that I didn't want to be in the traffic. I didn't want to be in the congestion. I didn't want to be in the high rises, and I wanted to be back home. And I knew I was going to take a pay cut, and I did take a pay cut because um, you know the the five cities area you you don't do business like you do in Silicon Valley. So I just came back and uh, went to work with Century Twenty One. Um, started networking, got active in the community community, which I still am. Um, so you know, working with past friends, current friends. Um, being involved in the community, that's where my business came from. And I got to know a couple things. So first of all, I at some point during the show, I got to tell you, I guess now's the right time. I loved those TV commercials you were doing. Thank um, you. The My favorite one was the one that was like the boardroom setting where you're like, oh, yes, stop with the F word, people. <laughs> and, it, and, <laughs> and, and then, of course, it was foreclosure. But that kind of what makes me think of that is uh through this this um you're watching the metamorphosis of real estate here on the central coast for so many years what's changed how is it different and then also how is it the same the same is the consumer still wants us and needs us even though there's different avenues for them to collect the information as you know online um they still need the realtor to drive them around, walk through the house, write the contract, negotiate the contract, close the escrow. Um, so that's stayed the same. Some things that have changed is when I started, we had, there were six or seven separate MLSs. Now all the, the, the associations, Paso, Tescadero, Five Cities, San Luis, we've combined MLSs. Um, there's more realtors around, so, you know, 20, I've done this for 31 years, but 20 years ago, my inventory would be 30 listings. You know, now it's like five or six listings. So more people in the business, um, but the cons consumer still wanting us and needing us. The big change is, um, is the internet where everything for sale is right there, right there. The consumer can sit in their house and shop and shop and shop and and they do a good job they can because when you pull it up online you can see all the specs the bedrooms the bathrooms the square footage they have pictures of the house so the consumer can really shop and get to know the neighborhoods and the properties for sale out there yeah i i was working with a couple this week that they were sure to have found the house in uh mm -hmm. los osos and um, these people kind of have unreasonably low ex uh, expectation of what they're going to have to spend. And I, I'm just, it, there's those people that are, uh, think they're going to find an amazing house for 300,000 bucks. Usually they have to go through this process of seeing what 300 is going to get you and then coming along. Uh, but the, the funny one this week was the breakthrough is that they said these people 
spent so much money on a photographer that took <laughs> pictures from all the right angles. <laughs> and uh, I think that's one of the things about today is the online stuff. Uh, you still really do have to go there, don't you? Um, or rely on a real estate agent that's been there, has already stomped through that property on caravan or otherwise and has an opinion um, about its location or condition or um, even smells because you can't smell on the oh, internet. Oh, definitely. I was at the CAR convention down in Anaheim a couple of weeks ago and they had a panel that the one of the top dogs from Zello, they had a top dog from truliahome.com. So those those guys were, you know, they were big hitters in, in those online companies and they were up front. Um, talking to us and we were able to ask questions and one realtor from the group asked the executive from zillow.com they said you know we go to your site zillow but your numbers aren't right and the consumers getting misled and the guy was the guy was sharp what he said is what you need to tell your client is zillow is a computer generated number Zillow does not walk through the living room. Zillow does not walk through the backyard. Zillow does not walk down the street to look at that house. So, yeah, so the consumer can shop all they want online, but, yeah, they need to walk through the front door. They need to look at the bedrooms. They need to look at the, uh, the backyard and the neighborhood before they buy. Yeah. It's probably not we're, – we're probably not very far away from being able to do that from the computer, though. Um, you know, the street scene views already, you kind of already walk around the neighborhood a little bit just with like Google maps, but exactly. And, and Zillow and Trulia, those representatives, they admitted, they said, Hey, we're online. We want to generate ads. That's where our money's coming from. And they sat up in front of us, looking down at us and said, we are not going to put the realtors out of business. The, the consumer still needs the realtor to write the contract. They still need the realtor to negotiate the contract and close the escrow. So their, their marketing, their advertising, the consumer can see the house. Yeah, the, 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 the pictures online. The pictures online, sometimes they're better than the house, and sometimes the pictures online are worse than the house really is. Uh. Yeah, and and we I've I've stopped taking my own pictures. I hire a photographer. You know, it costs 100, 150 bucks. Um, but that photographer can come out and take um, some really nice pictures of the house. And every if 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 you're a realtor and you're listening, stop taking your own pictures. Hired out. <laughs> <laughs> I like the pictures lately too. You get I get these little you know things, and it's obvious that they've. Uh, changed the the lighting in the computer yes so like yeah. the the colors are brighter the lights are more surreal oh, all of a sudden i'm like oh man this looks like a, i could buy like a page out of a fairy tale yeah that's one thing i'm not in favor of yeah some of these <laughs> photographers they're digitally changing the uh the, the photos and i think they should be just just what they are boom that's it yeah with a good camera from the right angle. Yeah. We get a lot of that in our industry as well with the uh, the people that go online and come back to us and say, well, this is the rate that I saw online. There's, there's so <laughs> many outside factors that, that need to be considered to, to know exactly what you're dealing with. And I, I think that looking at property online is very similar to that. Um, speaking to what Lenny says, I mean, you... 
it, you have to – I personally, if I'm going to buy a house, I want to work with a guy who's been in the area, who knows the markets, who understands sort of the trends, who understands where you know there may be a good opportunity versus this area may be a little oversold. So there's, I think it's important to have that realtor who, who has that experience to be able to guide you in that direction. And then, like you said, once you actually are in the process of putting in an offer and dealing with contracts and negotiating, trying to do that on your own or, or with – help you sell or, or some other discounted it, it's it can get very complicated and those deals can fall apart very very quickly yeah i have a deal working right now where um the seller had a bad experience with a buyer that had an fha loan years ago led to some extra inspections and then actually some out-of-pocket uh work that an fha appraiser required and um, so we're, we're representing the, uh, borrower of course, and they're using FHA to get a loan. And I mean, it's been a solid, uh, 19 days at this point of real estate agents. They're, uh, both very cordial, uh, very professional, um, very intelligent communicators and negotiators, but trying to, um, find common ground between a seller that wants nothing to do with an FHA transaction, just <laughs> right. wants top dollar with no headache, and then a buyer that can only use FHA because they qualify for no other program. Um, and they start out you know, negotiating price. And then once they get through the price thing, then we come to issue of loan contingency, which is right about the time that the request for repairs is going in. And then it turns out there's like $10,000 worth of repairs that um, the buyers would like to see done. And so just watching this uh, interaction between mm -hmm. all of the parties, um, that's a computer is never going to be able to do that. So true. Um, yes. Talking folks off the ledge, telling them <laughs> um, why. You know, like for example, the seller wanted these guys to release their loan contingency. It's the seventeenth day. Right. Take your loan contingencies off, and the buyer is saying you're too focused on the loan contingency. I'd prefer that you address my request for repairs. Mm -hmm. And the you know and in in conversation it occurred to me that the seller didn't want to address the request for repairs at that time, probably at counsel of the real estate agent, because it sort of lays the cards on the table as how willing are they to deal and reduce price or repair issues, do these things, while the buyer still has this um, golden umbrella here with the loan contingency. Mm -hmm. And if that seller lays their cards on the table about, I'll, I'll reduce the price by 10000 um, and then these guys elect not to buy it, then don't the other people in that office know now that that place is definitely negotiable by 10,000, maybe more. So there's this dance that happens and it's one where um, I, I just cringe when I think that people might be representing themselves or um, using help you sell where uh, you're gonna end up without that support and that, mm -hmm. um, that level of expertise and care. How much does it cost you? Uh, it's so hard to put a number on that. Some people are so focused on that too. They, they, they're looking at the commissions that they're paying out and worried about that. And at the end of the day, I mean, there's, there's some events that are going to happen in your life that are very significant, very important, and 
purchasing a home is one of those events. Oh, yeah. So when I when I get sick, I don't open up the yellow pages and say, "Well, I need to find the cheapest doctor I can." Be- <laughs> you know, it just it doesn't make sense because it's important, right? So when something's important, you're you're those are the times not to cut corners. Those are the times to say, "Okay, you know, well, what? I, bought, I need to do this right." I bought my house from a for sale by owner. And um and I disclosed that I was uh, a licensed real estate broker. Right. I also used representation because mm-hmm. I, I know better than to try to represent myself. I do loans, not real estate. So I, I got myself representation. And uh, in doing so, I, going through that transaction, all I thought was, man, if I had just a little bit less ethics or morals, I could buy this house from this person and turn around and sue them probably for half my money back. <laughs> Good um, point. The, yeah. you, I really honestly think that somebody could make a business of buying real estate from for sale by owners and then going back and suing them just over the paperwork that they don't know they needed to have filed. Mm-hmm. It seems so reckless to me that people would um, not use a real estate professional. So you go that route or you go the route of Lenny Jones, who's the past president of the Pismo Coast Board of Realtors, president of past president of the Royal Grande Chamber of Commerce, um, past realtor of the year. I mean, either rely on his knowledge or wing it yourself. And after but a plug in and current president of Woods Humane Society. Yeah. So, All right. But, but adopt a dog. Adopt uh, please do, yeah. That's Dave's Dave Dave Conkles does a good job here with that. Um Sellers, thinking of selling, um, interview, I always, even people I sit down with, uh, uh, across, across the table from someone, I'll say, you know, if you're going to sell your house, interview three realtors. Even if you think you know who you're going to select, interview three realtors, because then you're going to get three different ideas on how to sell your house. You're also going to get three different ideas on what it's worth. And then you, the seller, can decide what you're going to list it for. But it's just a real good idea. Just don't pick someone. I mean, if you if you have a cl- an agent you've been working with, fine, run with them. Um, but if you're thinking of selling, interview three realtors before you decide. Yeah, and don't you want to know? Um, I I'd like to just have the different personalities. I mean, if I, of course I know some real estate agents very well, so I have a good idea of who I'm going to work well with and who's going to. Um, care most about my own preferences and desires and stuff. But if you didn't have that, wouldn't you want to interview three people just to find out who you're going to be able to tolerate more? Exactly. And and <laughs> quite, often, sense, right? quite often it does come down to personalities. It yeah. doesn't yeah. come down to, okay, how many homes has he sold and who does he work for? It, sometimes it does come down to personality. And also it comes down to, aside from personality, it's not who the – it's not what company the agent works for. The company's not going to sell your house. That agent is going to sell your house. So he might, he or she might be from a small company, but she could really, she or he can really sell houses. So, um, yeah, look at this, the realtor specifically and their, on, on their qualities in history. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, we're getting a point in the show here where we need to take our first commercial break. There are paying sponsors of Mortgage Matters. In fact, if they didn't pay, you would have to. So keep that in mind as you hear their pitches for your business. And uh, if you're out shopping for their services, we'd encourage you to give them a a crack at it. Uh, Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. 
For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. The state of denial is a drag and a trial When I bought my cheap insurance Should've known this day would come Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone Called them at least 20 times But they won't pick up the phone Without personal service My policy's kinda worthless Get to a better state, State Farm Switch to State Farm and you can save To find out more in San Luis Obispo Call Agent Susan Rodriguez through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. I know I didn't wait all the way for the downbeat right there, but hey. Thunderstruck, it's raining. Yeah, that thunder yeah I, did. I thought we were supposed to have thunder last night, but I never heard any. Hey, the rain was good enough. Oh, how it was, nice. It was wonderful, it? yeah. We look out our beautiful window here, and it's beautifully raining right now here in San Luis Obispo. Right there in Heaven's Car Wash. I, I've been wanting to wash my truck lately. It's been so dusty and dirty and grimy. And I came out this morning, and I was like, "Look at that! <laughs> Look at that! Clean All and sparkly, nice!" Yeah. And I didn't even have to lisp a finger. <laughs> Very cool. Um, I'm trying to find my notes here, Lenny. I want to. Um, man, there's so many things that I want to ask you, and places I want to go with this. But you know, I wanted. I always enjoy um, talking a little bit of real estate when I get a real estate guest here on the show. Um, and we track a lot of real estate stats. Me and uh, the business partner, Dan, are kind of numbers dudes. Oh, good. Let's um, talk about those. Yeah. And so check this out. Now, I'll thank you in advance for not interrupting me. I'm going to run through this in like 30 seconds, okay? Um, last week, we learned that pending home sales rose slightly in September. 
First time they're above year-over-year levels for the first time in 11 months. Existing home sales reached the highest level of the year in September, showing that building momentum in the housing market um, is doing just fine. New U.S. single-family home rose to a six-year high in the month of September. And the Case and Schiller Home Price Index show still real estate in appreciating ground. I'm reworking that um, headline. They they say that um, the the index shows uh, home prices contracting, which I think to most people would uh, translate into depreciating. Um, but really, we're we're still gaining in home value every year, according to the Case and Schiller. It's just at a slower pace than it's been in recent years, and I'm fine with that. Slowest um, slowest pace in 21 months. Yeah, but hey, it, oh, 21 but still months positive, ago it was right? overheated. 21 right. months ago, I did not want to see 15 percent a year appreciation. Right, um, right now, Case and Schiller is at um, you know what. Six percent ish or something. Yeah, it was five point six. Was the actual. At any rate, those some pre- those headlines are all from the last week. Um, and by the way, they're not. I didn't cut and paste headlines. I summarize each one of those articles that I that I track. That stuff all sounds pretty good. And those actually match um, slow county stats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you. So what's going on here? Okay, so so I pulled two stats, one for slow count for San Luis County all overall and also for South County. So for home values this year. So last year slow county values went up 14%. So last year values went up 14%. This year San Luis County, the entire county Values have gone up, gone up six percent, and home values in the South County have gone up four percent, and that's from year to date. That also reflects the numbers you were talking about sales. So, San, so, so we just talked about the values, how much values have gone up. Now, the number of homes selling for San Luis County, the number of homes selling versus last year has dropped nine percent. And but there's not a lot we can do about that, right? No, there's I mean, not. The the you know the so some of the sellers are starting to hold back, um, and then some of the buyers are not jumping in like they did last. And well, it, w- last year, a lot of um, investors. But we can talk about that. Go ahead. I was going to say um, last year, last year, um, 2013 was. Probably the first year where the first whole year where you could definitively say that um, we've recovered over prior years. So I'd have to imagine there was people that were just holding the ends of the raft here for the rapids of seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, and then thirteen brought them back to the point where they could probably sell their house at least not as a short sale in some cases, but it's kind of like. Yeah, step on up. Now you can sell. You know, you hung on for a while. Go for it. Um, so wouldn't you think those numbers for 13 are going to be a little higher than normal anyway? Exactly. And that's exactly what happened last year. And you were talking about the sellers, not the buyers. There were a lot of buyers, investors that were holding back. You know, they they, they, they had money. 
They obviously didn't want to put it in Wall Street, um, and they weren't ready to put it into real estate because we were still on upward climb. Yeah. Once we saw the turnaround, which was, it was extremely early on in, in 2013, January 2013, we saw the wave coming. So those investors literally jumped into the market, and that's, that's why um, – Home values increased last year, and that's why so many home sales last year because investors were just buying, buying, buying. Yeah, yeah. So, so the so the, so the number of homes of the the number of homes selling countywide um, are down nine percent, and the number of homes selling in the South County is actually down by seventeen percent. Remember, prices are still going up, just the number of homes selling are less. Yeah. The type of investors are also, I think it's important to understand, is, is there's the speculative investor that purchases and is waiting for the home value to go up, and then they're looking to sell, and that's their profit. That's their investment profit. Um, the investors that we're talking about now are investors that purchased at lower purchase prices, got locked into, and were able to take advantage of some really low interest rates. And so now they're not necessarily looking to flip that property. They're looking to now, this is a profitable investment on paper with a positive return of investment every month after month with positive cash flow. This is going to be something I'm going to hang on to for a while. Speaking of flipping, I heard a... a us realtors always get together once a week, and one of them, um, Joanne Outland, actually talked about this. She does a lot of REOs and stuff. So, so an investor bought a property and flipped it within 12 months. Either Fannie Mae or, Ginny, or Freddie Mac or someone came back to that investor and said, no, 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 you were not supposed to sell that within 12 months. And they actually fined that investor 10000 bucks. Yeah, I have actually um, seen that. In fact, it came up by way of Joanne Atlin several years ago. Um, she, We were doing a transaction, and Fannie Mae had, in agreeing to a short sale, actually put um, in the title report, they had attached to title a, a like a, a restriction, basically, to the deed that it couldn't exactly. be reconveyed for a year. Yeah. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, next time we go through one of these uh, real estate recessions like we just had, I think we're going to be a lot better at it. Yeah. So um, understanding how to navigate all of that stuff. So if, if some of you are out there buying homes to flip it, be sure you read all the paperwork and see if you actually can flip it within 12 months. Right. Um, you should be receiving a copy of your title report. Um, in your due diligence period, and that's uh, the real estate contract. Don't you guys usually have the buyer sign off that they reviewed um, title, or is that just in the escrow paperwork? That's that's escrow paperwork. Anyway, oh, that's a pretty important that, little document to review. Uh, I'll back up on that. We do have, the, as you know, the contingency contingency release form. Uh huh. They, uh, uh, reviewing title is on there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now, no one rarely reads their title report, but... I do. <laughs> You're in the business. I'm in the business. I've seen some things show up in title where um, that greatly changes the scope of what you're buying, um, and you're kind of crazy not to. And that's the one thing realtors need to pay attention to is quite often the consumer will not read their paperwork. So you as a realtor, you better be reading a lot of that paperwork, and the, 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 you should read the, the prelim from front to cover, also the termite report from front to cover, because if something's in there and... Even though the buyer might have signed off on it, 12 months later, you could still have an attorney showing up at your door. Yep. In terms of this uh, this new real estate economy that we're in today where there's slightly less 
um, transactions happening each year. I mean, we decided that it's 9% less right now. Um, I want to tell you a couple other reasons why there's less houses transacting business today. Um, and one of which is if you bought a house two or three years ago, you may very well have a 3% 30-year fixed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to endure some pretty wild stuff with my neighbors before I need to sell and move. Um, I'm going to stay put in that neighborhood and in that school district and maybe with the zip code I didn't actually intend to have only on account of um, two main principles. Number one is um, you bought your house in 2012 for 300000 bucks. That was a house that was previously sold for 500000 in some cases. So sweet tax base forever. With Prop 13, you got a killer deal on taxes. And now those houses are back to 500000 So fantastic you made yourself a couple hundred thousand dollars equity. If you want to get at it, you got to give up your 3% loan. And then the house you're going to buy for 500000 is going to have nearly double the property taxes. So how many of those people are hanging on just saying, I don't need to sell? I got great taxes and I got great interest rate. I'm not interested in in getting involved in the real estate game again. Well, you make a very good point, and you might have answered this last hour, but when are rates going to go up? They were supposed to go up already, frankly. Um, we were we we're already supposed to be uh, heading into the 5% rate bill. Um, and, you know, right now, I think I'm going to say, I don't think they're going up for a couple years. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, it's uh, it's even though the U.S. is kind of getting our act together a little bit, jobs this year after that uh, week December report for the last 12 months, we've been pretty good at creating more than 200,000 jobs a month. Um, we're finally starting to see some uh, better job creation as far as head of household jobs. Uh, wages are still lagging behind, but we're getting we're getting better as an economy. And, you know, additionally, I think we're getting used to, um, the real estate market. Now we're getting used to, um, lesser transactions, but still appreciation. We're, we're getting used to, um, the, the normal rules here. And while I think that U S is close to healed now, all of a sudden, um, we've got the rest of the world, a few years behind us still. I mean, most of these economies are struggling. If you open up the paper, you're reading about cuts in interest rate, stimulus packages, bailout plans. There are things going on around the world and um, that are that are con- kind of keeps like a little bit of a, a restraint, a constraint on our ability to grow and, and raise interest rates in that way. Um, the, the other thing too, is that there's also a lot of geopolitical strains still there's Mm -hmm. concerns and military actions, this thing with ISIS and, um, Ebola, those kind of things just, I think, keep us a little bit tight for a little bit longer than we, than we might want to be. Um, so it's probably a couple more years of this range of interest rate in the low 4%, which I think is fine. We love love it in the business. Yeah, it's great. I'm really happy with where things are right now um, and think that just some normalcy. Wouldn't some normalcy just be ideal? Just get away from the volatility, get away from the radical swings, get away from 
the you know people we don't need all of the speculation and uh bizarre movement that people make based on greed and short-term plans um exactly and that's why i like some of the numbers we've talked about last year uh, you know value appreciation went up 14 percent. this year it's up um what i say average of five yes yeah, so six and four exactly yeah which is very nice yeah yeah, five percent. I mean, that when you're reading the textbooks, that's what they're telling you. Three to five is uh, ideal, so we're already actually at the high end of ideal. Uh, but it is nice. I think it's nice to just have things. Let's figure out everybody how in the business here how to survive on um, a moderate amount of transactions and and you know what happens too. This is one of the fringe benefits that I think. Um, not everybody realizes, but when there are those fewer transactions, as practitioner of the business, uh, you've one choice. Step up your service game, man. Exactly. Yeah. Serve the heck out of the clients that you got and start that refi fire, or, you know, referral fire. Get everybody just always knowing that you are doing everything you can for them. You can do that when the business is like this. I got to say, in 2011 now, when when we were dealing, 2012, when we were dealing in those uh, 3% 30-year fix, we were doing everything we could to do right by our clients, but we were bottlenecked. I mean, we had applications out the wazoo, and all along the way, the escrow officer was buried. The, you know, the underwriter was buried. The setup department was buried. The doctors and funders were buried. So it was the whole time it was just a struggle to just do the best you could do. And today, um, you can still struggle doing the best you can do, but the level of game is so much higher. So much more attention to detail. So much more care. Um, it's, it's nice like that. I like that. You know, you brought up an interesting point. You mentioned escrow officers. In, in, in selling a home... Um, there's so many people involved, and the escrow officer is one of the key, key uh, components of a, of a sell because they're in the middle of everyone. Um, they're talking to the buyer. They're talking to the seller. Um, they're talking to the lender. They're talking to the lender that you're paying off the loan on. So um, we as realtors, we really do appreciate our escrow officers, and they're one of the most key ingredients in a transaction. Do you have a favorite? You I, can you know, say no. You know what? I don't anymore. Um, there used to be, as you know, there used to be five escrow companies, five title companies here in 2006, yeah. and now we're down to two. And sometimes my fellow realtor will call me and say, you know, I'm going to write an offer on your property. Which escrow company do you want? Which uh, escrow officer do you want? And uh, you know what I say? I say, just just put in seller's choice or put in whoever you want. And this is why they all do a super, super good job. All yeah. the escrow officers here now, they've been around for a long time. Um, they do a super good job. So um, I don't I don't have one I'd put on top. They're all good. I had a favorite. I still have a favorite. And I, um, as a, you might appreciate this perspective, Lenny, but as a lender, I don't usually get to pick. Uh, when it's a purchase transaction, you, you know, guys yeah. are telling me what's exactly, happening. Yeah. And um, there was a period of time where um, I was one of the top escrow openers um, with Fidelity. Yeah. And consequently, when I called, uh, I my phone call got picked up and my needs were addressed pretty quickly. I think maybe even put before others in some cases because they wanted to serve me, um, knowing that I opened a lot of escrows. And uh, then I get 
in the purchase escrow and you're like, oh, call so-and-so in Paso. Okay, and then I call and they're like, Jason who? Yeah, um, you're in you're in oh, line. Oh, that hurts. You're in line. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, thanks, yeah. Um, so for me, I get that that contrast of level of service, you yeah. know, where... You, you are totally correct, because I've been there also. When I've had... Um, when when I used to work with specific escrow officers, oh yeah, if I needed something now, I'd get something now. Yeah, and so, um, but yeah, they do they do do a good job. All the escrow companies that are around are doing just fine, and um, you know they're they've adjusted their staffing to accommodate. I mean, it's a, it's a good time to do business, and um, and I'm I'm thrilled honestly. I, I think it's great. Um, hey, we got a quarter till 11 now which means we owe a final commercial break when we get back we have only 15 minutes to go it's going to be exciting so make sure you stick around uh, after this break for more mortgage matters mortgage matters with host dan and jason will be right back join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832 through seven presidential administrations bull and bear markets and unprecedented change Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you refinance your home or investment property. Lower your rate, shorten your loan term, or get out of your mortgage insurance. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast, Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, guys. Welcome uh, back. Good music. Thanks. Oh, fantastic. Are you guys watching The Voice? 
I have not seen it much this season, actually, to be honest with you. Anybody? You're excited about it. I know you uh, are. I heard you talking about I, it earlier. I'm a music dude. Yeah. I mean, I we're a musical household. Everybody plays instruments. We're really into music. Um, I love the voice. The, it's not like American Idol. Um, these guys are like real musicians. It's really That's a great awesome. show. That's awesome. Uh, Pharrell is a guest on, or I mean, a host of the show this year. He's one of the coaches. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is the most positive, uplifting. I just, I want, I want to be friends with him. I think just having him around would just make you a better person. You should friend him on Facebook, see what happens. Ah, that feels so desperate. It does. <laughs> Please reaching. talk to me. Please talk to me. <laughs> but yeah, that song's pretty cool. It I is. like that song a lot. Uh, I like the videos too. Yeah. Um, all right. So we only have 10 minutes to go. Um, this will be fun. Uh, I'm going to start. So I'm going to tell you, um, as somebody in the business, just sitting around having a cup of coffee as friends, right? Um, I'll tell you this about what I know about, uh, borrowers and, and my advice to borrowers. And it starts this way for me. Um, first of all, I think too many people, listen to these age old things like you should only refinance if you can save a whole percentage point in interest um that's flawed logic that came about no no, 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 i I mean i want to retract that it's not flawed logic the logic there is very good um what the logic is actually implying is it's really only worth it to refinance if you're going to save enough per month to justify the cost of doing the loan that's the logic Um, The problem is when that adage was being kicked around and passed down from generation to generation, uh, that was when houses were like Mm $30,000. So you did have to save a whole percentage point on those lower loan amounts to make it make sense. Uh, Today's loans are three, four, five hundred thousand dollar loans. A quarter of a percent might be $300 a month. Um, So if it only costs you $2,000 to refi and you can save 300 bucks a month, if that's only a quarter percent difference, it still makes good sense. So um, those old adages, I wish that people um, wouldn't follow them so much. The other thing is uh, folks are qualifying themselves from the couch and more importantly, they're disqualifying themselves. Don't sit at home and say, I can't buy because of this issue or I, you know, I don't, at at my job, I haven't had the same title for two years or something like that. There's so many ways to work around and massage those things into uh, working. Um, Or people say, you know, I don't have a 20% down payment. When they pulled uh, recent first time, would be first time home buyers and said, as a millennial, why aren't you buying today? Uh, A shocking percentage of them, more than 20% of them said they didn't have the 20% down payment. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me realize that people just don't know. Don't don't sit on your couch and disqualify yourself. We've got some remarkable programs. We're doing 100% loans every month. Um, there are other ways of doing 3% down. There was a transaction earlier in the year where Jason was actually the loan officer on it where the employer kicked in mm-hmm. a gift for closing costs. Yeah. These kinds of things are possible and you're only ever going to know about it if you come in. Well, um, you're totally right. I see a lot of contracts coming across my desk, either no down or five, 10, 20,000 down, you know, yeah, one, 2% down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 
again, so that my next piece of advice would be just come get qualified. Um, if we can't get you a house today, and maybe you really don't even want one today, uh, but you know you might need one in a year or two or three, uh, we're still going to be in business here in a year or two or three. So we can get you on a path, get you some action items and some goals, things to work on, maybe get you a budget so you can anticipate what you need to save and how much you need to earmark for what the mortgage payment's going to be compared to what your rent is today. But but get you on action path to be able to buy. Um, and I... I really think that uh, those would be my my big piece of advice to people that don't know a lot about our business. Um, and and when he said get qualified, don't sit on the couch, go online and get qualified. Pick up the phone and talk to a loan person right. and or go into their office. Yeah, and meet up. And you know what? I usually say talk to a couple lenders too. Um, get an idea of of uh, how what their workflows like. You know how do how are they going to do this with you? Are they going to invite you in for a face to face or just ask you to email a PDF? Um, but getting a sense of that person, you know, and whether or not you're going to enjoy working with them, you'll be uh, whether or not you like your loan officer, you'll be glad to be done dealing with them. There's a lot of interaction for mm -hmm. a little while in a loan transaction, so. I soaked up a few minutes. That was how much I had. Um, let's hear. Let's hear from Lenny. What would you say to would-be buyers or would-be sellers? What I'd say to the sellers is to when you get ready to put your home on the market, uh, one of the first things you need to do is even before it comes on the market is get that termite report, get that termite inspection. You don't need to do the work. Just know if there is or is not any problems. So when you're preparing your house for sale, remember, interview three realtors before you select the one you want to work with. Um, just make your home neat and clean. Don't spend a lot of money. Don't change out the carpet. Um, don't redo the bathrooms. Don't redo the kitchens because you're not going to get that dollar-per-dollar dollar return. If you put in, in $50,000 fixing up your house to sell, you're going to get... 30,000 bucks back, maybe. So just make it neat and clean, good curb appeal, uh, get the termite inspection, and then um, the reason you want the termite inspection, you want the termite report is because you're going to get an offer. And when that offer comes in, they're going to ask you to do that work. Um, and whether you do it or not, um, you just need to be aware of what it's going to be. Those are good piece of advice. I get those questions, too, in terms of the appraisal. Um, somebody's doing a refi, say, how clean does my house need to be? <laughs> how do you answer that question? Um, well, the, the appraisals now are, are sales comparable approach. So, um, really it's heavily weighted towards what has sold recently in your area. So if there's a couple dishes in the, in the sink during a refinance transaction, it's probably not going to affect your value too much. So, but it's always nice to have that curb appeal and it's always nice to have, um, you know, the appraiser leaving with, uh, with a positive expectation of, you know, the value that he wants to give this property. So that's, I mean, it's, we're all people, right? And we keep talking about that. It's good to work with professionals that are, have your back and are going to look out for your best interest and, and dealing with escrow agents and appraisals, appraisers across the board. I mean, it's just, it's just good to have that sort of that positive feeling, um, throughout the whole transaction. Yeah. When the appraiser walks through, it's okay if you leave out a dish full of cookies, that's cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You know, whenever somebody asks me that question, I usually say, I think about it like buying a car. 
if I'm going to come um, to look at your car, like I'm going to buy it, what do you, what, what am I looking for? How do you keep it? You know, right. and is it like full of trash and gross and dirty and neglected? Because that tells me you probably don't care that much about keeping the oil fresh and uh, maintenance um, up to date too. So in terms of the house, somebody that keeps their house nice and tidy and clean usually keeps up on maintenance issues and that kind of thing too. So um, you can give somebody the impression that it's not that important to you and you didn't feel the need to pick up that pile of laundry from the bedroom floor before you had the appraiser in your bedroom mm -hmm. and let him run with that feeling or can come through and say, man, this place is tidy, it's clean, it smells good, it's well-kept, it's probably well-maintained too. Which do you think is going to have a more favorable outcome as far as the um, opinion of value? So true. And same with when it's on the market for sale, when yes. buyers are walking through. You know, yeah, pick up the laundry, put the kids' toys away, you know, make the house look, make it shine. Just like when, like he said, when you're selling a car, what do you do when you sell a car? You get it detailed and you put a for sale sign on it. Same yeah. with your house. Make your house shine. Don't spend a lot of money. Just make it shine before that sign goes up. Yeah. Yeah, um, I know that I'm one of the people that doesn't do well with visualizing things, you know. Uh, this place is so much potential if it's cleaned up and nice. I'm going to come through and go, this place is nasty. Can we leave now? Uh, so, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think that that's part of the human condition. Uh, but anyway... Um, those are those are great tips. And uh, Lenny, would you just real quick um, share your and real quick, you probably have a minute, um, share your contact info and maybe um, the kind of person that you'd like to work with. Okay, um, I'm in the South County. I'm in Roy Grandy. Uh, I work with Jones Goodell and Associates. Um, website is LennyJonesRealEstate.com. Don't go to LennyJones.com. I think that might be a not so cool site, but go to Lenny Jones real estate.com. And the phone number for me is 489. It's 805 489 9000. Who do you want to work with? I want to work with, um, I work with everyone. 70% uh, of my clients are, 70% of my clients are sellers. 30-40% uh, are buyers. I work with repeat buyers, um, first time home buyers. Um, same with sellers. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you much for coming in yeah, today. We really appreciate in, it. And um, guys, if you have any loan needs at all, if you want to get a hold of myself or Jason uh, Van Dyke here, any of the other loan officers in our office, uh, we have one simple phone number to ring all of our locations. It's 543-LOAN. So 543-5626. Give us a call. Let's just help you. If nothing else, um, you're going to get a good, honest idea of where you stand and how it's going to go for you. Otherwise, check us out on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. We put a lot of energy into this website to make it a resource for you. Please go use it. Thanks, Lenny. Thank Thanks, you. Jason. Thank you. We'll be back next week, guys, with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Thanks for being with us.